Good morning, church family. Kids, K through five, you are dismissed. You're head back there to our awesome team. You uh, K through five, you can head back and join the, our leaders in the back corner there and have a great morning together. While they go, and before we jump into God's word, just a couple of quick things from me. Uh, number one, if you're an official member of Faith Church, be sure you're paying attention to the weekly update handout you got on the way in this morning. And uh, because we have an uh, important annual meeting coming up the last Sunday of this month. Uh, and if you're an official member of Faith Church, you should have already received an important email back in September, a repeat of that email in December, and look for another email this coming week, um, getting us, uh, this coming week or so, getting us ready for that meeting at the end of the month. So just a heads up on that. And the other thing I want to give you a heads up on is that I'm um, putting out some Kleenex here on the table next to me, uh, just in case, and letting you know that I've been under the weather for a couple days, but I was ready to teach and want to teach, and so uh, totally good with that, not looking for sympathy, just saying, uh, if I make it through here without sneezing and coughing, I'll be so thankful for the grace of God and a very distant second giving credit to cold medicine. And then... Uh, and then I'm also giving you that heads up just so you know why I'm not out with you, chatting you up, asking for prayer requests, praying for you on the spot, giving you big hugs and fist bumps after the gathering, after we're done this morning. That's why you may not see me much afterward. I'll spare you the goodness. Okay? All right. So as we start this morning, I want to ask us some questions, as I often do. What do you look forward to? And this could be taken very positively. I mean, we look forward to things. There's things coming up in our lives. We, we tend to look down the road. We tend to make goals. We tend to uh, see what's on the calendar. What are you looking forward to? What's, what's kind of next? You know? And now I say these can be taken in a positive way, and they can. What, what's, what's next? What are we looking forward to? But, but then we got to be careful, right? We also got to make sure we're not going, what's next? What's next? There's always more. I need more. I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. What's, what's coming up? And so here's why I'm, uh, let me tell you a little bit about my own journey here the last few days, thinking some of these things through. Um, first of all, it's, it's a new year. I don't know how your vacation time works at your job, but in, in, uh, as, as uh, part of the staff team here, our vacation time is a big pile of hours that starts fresh at the beginning of a calendar year, and it's use it or lose it by the end of 2024. And there's different ways that vacation time can accumulate and be used, but that's how we do it, and, and, and I've gotten used to it. And actually, it fits my nerdy personality pretty well because I have this big pile of vacation hours, and then that means that at the end of a calendar year and at the beginning of a calendar year, I'm kind of going, okay, how's this going to work? What are we going to do? I'm a planner. I'm detail-oriented. I like calendars. Come into my office sometime. You'll see multiple. And, then, and so, so this is kind of fun, right, to plot out vacation time and to think ahead about what trips are coming up this year. We have... Um, we have four kids. We have two that are graduating from high school this year. We have one who's going to come home from her year, first year of college and need to travel back. And so there's all these different times and needs that we may need to take time off and travel and, and use to help them out. Also, this summer will be uh, Amy and I's 25th wedding anniversary, so maybe I should start thinking about planning something <laughs> fun there, right? Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to her and the grace of God. 
25 awesome years, and, um, and maybe part of this planning will include uh, something fun for us to do. Um, so, so these are good things, right? But planning vacation, having some time off, looking forward to things, this is okay, this is good. Uh, I would even say it's important to have re- rhythms of rest in our lives and and uh, workaholism is not good, so if some of these things that we look forward to are helpful, then, then that's great. Uh, you may have even heard, like I've often um, talked about this back, that it's apparently there was even some research that said that there are um, benefits to planning a vacation, that not only the vacation itself is a benefit, time off, rest, fun, whatever, but, but the anticipation of it leading up to it is, is a, a bunch of the benefit. So one, one, one poll even indicated that people are their happiest leading up to the vacation. So, so there's this planning and looking forward to, um, right? And again, I don't, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn things now, and I'm going to look at things in a, in a little more critical fashion, but I'm not saying vacation's bad. I'm not saying that looking forward to things in your life is bad. I'm not saying there's not appropriate times and uses for those things. But it occurred to me in the last few days, partly because I was studying this Bible passage that we're about to, and partly because of some real-life things and real-life people that were examples to me, I started thinking about, man, I don't want to go too far with this whole excitement about vacation thing. I don't want to go so far that that's the extent of my happiness. I don't want to go so far with thinking ahead to 2024 and when I can get away that that becomes what's most important. I don't, I don't want, so I want to check my motives, I guess. And I want to invite you as you look forward to things, as you're planning for things, as you think about what is life all about? What am I living for? Where do I find contentment? I want to make sure that I'm not just living for those things that are ahead or never satisfied, but what's next and waiting for more. I want, to, I want, to, I want us to evaluate this morning um, Where's our heart at? Where's our inspiration for life in the moment, life day to day, what God has given us to do? Where does contentment come from? Am I only content when there's another thing out on the horizon to look forward to? Or am I content in the now with what God has given me to do? Grab your Bibles. If you don't have it out already, open with me to Luke chapter 2. We are in a series of messages we've called Son of the Most High, studying Luke, Luke chapter 1 and 2. Um, we have uh, studied in recent weeks the birth of Jesus, and we are now still kind of in the early childhood of Jesus. Open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 2. We are not going to put verses of Scripture on the screen this morning. We love you to have your Bible with you on your lap or a device open to the Bible app so that you can follow along and hear from God directly through his word. We've called this series Son of the Most High. A few minutes ago, I I love this, a few minutes ago we sang, um, you are worthy, you are worthy of your, what did we say? You are worthy of your name. Whose name? We've talked in recent weeks about the meaning of the name Jesus. It means the Lord is salvation. The name Jesus means God saves So a few moments ago, we sang, you are worthy of your name that God saves. Amen? And so the series is called Son of the Most High because Jesus is the Son of God, the promised rescuer, God 
with us, the one who is worthy of his name, that God comes to us and saves us. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 2. I'm starting at verse 22 right now. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. They came to offer this sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I'll stop right there for a moment to say a couple things we get from these couple of verses. First of all, I think it's really cool to note that Jesus came from a family who sought to honor God. Followers of Jesus today, we don't have these same Old Testament laws, these sacrifices that we're called to make, but, but, but we see in these verses that Mary and Joseph were, were people who sought to honor God and do what he asked. And so they're coming to present Jesus to the Lord. And the other thing that we can see here that we might not know right off is that their offering, Mary and Joseph's offering, what did they offer as a sacrifice? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Mary and Joseph's offering is an indication of their material poverty. The Old Testament law actually called for a sacrifice here of a lamb, but that wasn't available to everyone. And, and, and so they, they went the alternate method, also still according to the law of God, but they made this offering. And, and really, it, this offering is then a public indication, a public declaration of their poverty, that they didn't have means, that they didn't have uh, a way to make the, 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 the expected sacrifice. And as often is the case in Scripture, uh, considering Mary and Joseph's material or financial poverty gives us an opportunity to reflect on our spiritual need, our spiritual poverty. Their material poverty gives us a chance to, to think about our spiritual need. And, and this isn't important. We see this over and over again in Scripture. God does not come to the self-sufficient. God does not come to those who are self-sufficient, who've got it all together, who provide for themselves, who, who think they've got it all under control. God, God comes to those who recognize their need, their spiritual need, their inability to rescue themselves. The Christian life, becoming a follower of Jesus, begins with acknowledging to God how needy I am, how unable to save myself, how, how prone to wander, how rebellious and sinful is my heart. The Christian life begins with acknowledgement of need. Uh, author and pastor Kent Hughes says this, we need to, I think this will be on the screen. Oh, it's not on the back, that's fine. We need to ask God to show us our insufficiency. What grace, well, listen to this, what grace would come to us if we dared to pray for a greater sense of our spiritual need. In other words, church family, instead of cruising along, we're good with what we've got, we're good with how, how we can handle ourselves, we can take care of ourselves, we can make our own decisions, we've got it all together. Do we think that we've got it made? Do we think that we can make a way forward into whatever's needed in the future? Do we think that we have need for nothing and nobody? 
Or what grace would come to us if we ask God to give us a greater sense of our spiritual need, of how much we need him? Our only adequacy is in Jesus. We are not adequate. We don't earn our favor with God. We are not adequate before him because of our own works or efforts or the way we clean ourselves up or the way we try to appear like a good guy. We are, our adequacy is only found in Jesus. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Everybody say Simeon. We're going to be introduced to a couple people in this passage this morning, and we're going to ask God to teach us what he has to say about Jesus, and he's, we're going to ask God to show us or teach us what he has to say about the example of these two humans, the first one being Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. What's the consolation of Israel? The consolation of Israel is uh, uh, Simeon was among those who's, who had strong hope that God would come to the rescue of his people, that God would be the consolation, the comfort of his people. Uh, Simeon was a God-fearing man who, who knew, the, knew the Old Testament scriptures and knew that God had promised to send his, the Messiah, the promised rescuer. And so uh, Simeon is a man who is waiting for that, who, who knows that God is going to come and rescue and comfort his people. Now let's skip so we can introduce another person in this passage. Let's look at verse 36. We'll come back, but we'll, let's skip down to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna. Everybody say Anna. So we have Simeon, and now we have Anna, the daughter of Fenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was what? Advanced. <laughs> the scriptures in the ESV translation that I'm reading from say she was advanced in years. And boy, have we gotten a lot of mileage out of that phrase in the past few weeks. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel." Okay, you've already pointed it out, but the first thing we've learned about both Simeon and Anna is what about their age? They are advanced in years, and, and uh, so we've, we've, we've known that they, and look at their example. What else do we see about them? That they're both devoted to God. Not only are they both in, this, in the passage indicating that they are later in life, advanced in years, getting older, but we see their devotion to God, their ongoing commitment to worshiping God, to living for him, to obeying him, to learning to live for him in all that they're doing. And, and, and it's an opportunity for us then to go, is that how we have spent our lives, are spending our lives, and intend to spend our lives? And what else do we see about Simeon and Anna? We see that they are both waiting expectantly, longing for the Messiah, 
knowing of God's promise to save and comfort his people by sending the promised rescuer. So we have two people here who are examples of of continuing to serve faithfully, continuing um, to be devoted to God, and continuing to look forward with hope, knowing that their only hope, that the only hope for God's people is in the mercy and grace of God to fulfill his promises. Now, I know there's a handful or so of you around here that might consider yourself advanced in years. And then there's probably another handful or two that are advanced in years, whether or not you would acknowledge it. I'm just teasing. Anybody ever heard the word retirement? We have plenty that are approaching or already enjoying this phase of life that we often refer to as retirement. Now, earlier you heard me talking and kind of wrestling with the way I was approaching uh, vacation, things I was looking forward to. How would my time be spent? Where would my contentment come from? Now, I'm not quite as advanced in years as some of, of the couple handfuls of you, so I don't know the answer to this. I'm sincerely asking, could retirement, could that season of life um, cause a similar potential trap as I was talking about with vacation? In other words, you know, I was saying that, the, that, that vacation is a good thing. It's fun to have things to look forward to. We need rest. We, but, but what if it becomes my only source of contentment? What if it's all I'm looking forward to instead of living for God in the now? So I'm just asking, as I wrestled with that about vacation, I'm asking for those of you advanced in years and enjoying the retirement phase of life, um, could it be a similar trap? Could retirement cause us to do... I hear some acknowledgement. Could, could retirement cause us to do less than God is calling you to do? Could retirement cause us to search horizontally for things that can only be found vertically. To search horizontally for for inspiration, for fun, for contentment, for the next thing, for the, what, you know, to have my time as my own, to do these things or spend time with. If you're in that stage of life, what are your retirement goals? How, How is time to be spent? What is God calling you to? What has God uh, equipped you and enabled you by the power of the Spirit in you to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus, a conduit of God's love and a proclaimer of Jesus to your spheres of influence? What are our goals for whatever season of life we're in? Where is contentment found? Are we focused on self Pleasing self, looking for the path of least resistance. I typically, left to my own, look for the path of least resistance. I would love to look for the path of comfort and convenience and where things go my way and where things that seem to happen in the life that's very full and broken in this earthly journey, the things that kind of push me off my track. So no matter what stage of life are we are, where are we at? What are our goals? Where is contentment found? Is it about us and our comfort or convenience? Or 
What else might God have? Let's continue. Back to Simeon, verse 26. Back to Simeon, verse 26. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit of God that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What does that mean? That, that, that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that Simeon would not die until he had seen the promised rescuer, the Messiah, who had come to set his people free. Can you imagine? What, how awesome to realize that. For Simeon to know that he was going to get to lay his eye on God's promised rescuer. Verse 27 says, and so Simeon came in the Spirit. That's the third mention of the Holy Spirit in relation to Simeon. Followers of Jesus are, in, are indwelled by God himself through the Holy Spirit. If you're a true follower of Jesus, God lives in you and is, and is guiding you. You can listen and you can follow and you can learn to be in tune and you can learn to walk in step with the Spirit. And that's the example we get from Simeon here. Three times in relation to Simeon, it mentions the Spirit. Here's verse 27. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God. I mean, just, this is incredible. He knows he's not going to die before he sees the promised one, and here comes the couple with the baby. And he takes Jesus up in his arms. I wonder how Mary felt about that. <laughs> At least in our culture, it's kind of awkward and not really acceptable. But Simeon grabs the baby, takes him in his arms, and begins to bless God. Church family, hold Simeon, holding the Prince of Peace, experiences an overwhelming sense of peace. And just as we've seen many times in Luke chapters 1 and 2 in the, in the last few weeks, yet again, the author of this gospel, Luke, is yet again emphasizing that what God says he will do, he does. He comes through. Verse 29, Simeon's words, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. What does he mean by depart? He means, I could die now. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be with the Lord. You are letting me depart in peace according to your word because my eyes have seen, does it say Jesus? Because my eyes have seen your salvation. Verse 31, that, and Simeon continues, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, as, as the angels proclaimed just a few verses ago. This is good news of great joy. For who? For all people. Not just the Jewish people, the people of Israel, God's people, the Old Testament believers, but for Gentiles, non-Jews, the world over who choose to follow Jesus. This is good news of great joy for all people. And then let's just think a little bit more about verse 29. A 
According to Simeon's words, seeing Jesus is the same as seeing salvation. Knowing Jesus is knowing salvation, forgiveness of sin, being made right with God, adopted into his family, life abundant now and eternal with him. Salvation is found in Jesus. This is the gospel good news that we celebrate all the time, that we never want to grow, old, grow tired of, that we never want to move past the simple, glorious gospel good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, see not only um, does Simeon help us to look forward to Jesus, but, and, and, it, and we're considering, um, he's saying to know Jesus is salvation. But here's the other thing that we struggle with when we think about this gospel good news is we say, oh yeah, salvation is in Jesus plus I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I gotta act a certain way. I gotta get my act together. I gotta be religious. No, we, we try to make it salvation is Jesus plus something and, and the gospel good news, the reason that the gospel is spectacular good news is because salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus, Simeon, Simeon sees the baby, knows from God it's the arrival of the promise of Messiah and he declares about Jesus that to God, God I can go, I, I can go. Because I've seen your salvation. Your salvation is in Jesus alone. And so where does that leave us on this side of eternity, on our human journey? It, it leaves us in, with, with only this to do, to respond in faith, to receive God's free gift of salvation to receive this gift that God offers in sending His Son. All we are, are given to do is, is receive the gift by, by trusting in Jesus, by believing who he is, Son of God, come to rescue. And through him we find life now and life forever. To receive salvation, we receive Jesus and follow him. So our scripture passage is exalting Jesus. Our scripture passage this morning is reminding us yet again that Jesus is son of the most high. God himself in the flesh come to rescue us. That's the most important thing we would get out of studying this passage today is to, is to recognize the glory of Jesus. And then as we finish up here, in just a couple more minutes, the rest of this passage, we want to also see what God wants to show us through the human examples of Simeon and Anna. What do we have in Simeon? Who do we have in Simeon and Anna? Two people nearing the end of life, honoring God with their lives, continuing to serve faithfully, and, and then... Recognizing, though, that once their duty is done, they're ready to be with the Lord. They want to they do what God has given them to do, 
and then they're ready to plan that next vacation. Wait, was that it? No, they, they, they want to do what God has given them to, done, to do, and then they want to retire and sit there. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody that's retired is sitting there. Simeon and Anna, they want to do what God has given them to do, and then they're ready to be with the Lord because that's all that was important because all they needed to do was what he said to do. I love it. I love the example we have in them that contentment is not from accumulating stuff. It's not from going on vacation. It's not from checking out. It's, contentment is a, a continued openness to serve God and to share the glory of Jesus with others. That's contentment. Being, being good with my today and this week and this month, whether my vacation time gets used in 2024 or not, being content means I'm open to God using me as he sees fit, continuing to serve him and share the glory of Jesus with others. And I would invite it to be the same for you. One of my theology professors in seminary wrote this. Sometimes our most productive years in spiritual service for God come after our most productive years of earthly toil. It is never too late to be ministered to by God, nor is it ever too late to minister for him. So certainly a good challenge, a good opportunity to reflect for those among us that are advanced in years. But certainly God's word this morning is not only pointed at the retirement group, but all of us have an opportunity to reflect on these things we've been talking about this morning. What, what is my purpose? What do I live for? I can have these good things, relationships, human relationships, and, 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 and celebrations, and friendships, and vacation time, and rest, and retirement blessings. These are okay. These are good things. But what is my purpose for living? What, what am I all about? Where is the focus? Where does my true satisfaction come from? Where is contentment found? In that next thing? In that thing that's always elusive? Where is contentment found? In the, in the horizontal? In earthly relationships and things and stuff? Or is our contentment found? Do we quit looking horizontally for our contentment because the only place we can find contentment Hope, love, salvation is vertically. Verse 33. And his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to him, now there's some kind of reality check here too. There's, this is an amazing occasion. Simeon is declaring Jesus to be the promised rescuer. And he's marking this occasion with great joy. But there's a reality check here. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts uh, from many hearts may be revealed. You see, we see elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus divides. Some follow, some believe in him and follow him, some choose to oppose him. Jesus, in coming and in knowing our hearts, reveals our hearts, reveals our inner thoughts, 
knows our motivations, and left to ourselves, our natural inclination would be to oppose Jesus. And so we're kind of circling back to the beginning of, of that idea of spiritual poverty, of needing to recognize our need. We must bow. The Bible, in, in, in pointing out to us that God has come to us in Jesus Christ, is giving us the opportunity to bow ourselves, to have it not be about us, to bow ourselves in humble recognition that we can't save ourselves, in, in, to bow in humble recognition and spiritual poverty and realizing it's not about what I have done, I can't save myself, to put ourselves in humble um, recognition and throw ourselves on the mercy of God. We have to bow in humble recognition before we rise in new life in Jesus. We, we recognize our spiritual need. Those that recognize your need are ready for God's amazing grace. Those that come to the end of self and recognize their need, their spiritual poverty, are ready to receive the overflowing, amazing grace of God, his love to us, demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Church family, Jesus is Son of the Most High. He is God in the flesh, the arrived rescuer. And, and as Simeon noticed when he first laid eyes on Jesus, Jesus is salvation. Knowing him brings peace. Father in heaven, we think about ourselves. Father in heaven, our focus tends to be ourselves and our comfort and our convenience. God, it's, it's the way it is. Father, we, we acknowledge that, that part of our sinful nature, our, our brokenness is, is selfish, uh, selfishness and, and rebellion against your good ways. And so, God, first and foremost, I pray as we come to your scriptures, as the spirit that lives within us convicts our heart of our sin and our self-focus, God, I pray that you would bring us to a point of confession, that we would acknowledge our spiritual poverty, that we would recognize our deep need for you because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because we can't save ourselves. God, would you... Just increasingly, God, bring us to confessing to you our need for you, to recognizing your goodness.